Let me encourage you to have your Bible open in John chapter 8. Well, there's no better text for any preacher to be given than this. Jesus, the light of the world. In Jesus' day, there were three feasts in particular, which took place in Jerusalem, which any decent Jew would make an effort to attend. You recall that uh, passage in the early chapters of Luke's Gospel, where at the age of 12, Jesus accompanied his parents and family and pretty much all the inhabitants of Nazareth uh, when they went down to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Passover, of course, was that great feast celebrating that time when they were in bondage in Egypt and having uh, shed the blood of a lamb, sprinkled it upon the doorposts of their homes. The angel of death passed over the Lord's people who had been obedient to that instruction and they were gloriously saved and then brought out of bondage and that was celebrated. Another feast that was a very prominent one in the Jewish calendar was Pentecost. In some ways, Pentecost has been hijacked by just one event. And all we think about on Pentecost uh, was uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles and the early church. And don't get me wrong, that's a very important thing that happened. But that tends to be, we actually maybe don't even realise that it was actually a Jewish feast of the same name the feast of weeks or the feast of first fruits in many ways probably a kind of harvest festival a time of thanksgiving of God's provision for his people and then thirdly the feast of tabernacles or the feast of ingathering or sometimes called the feast of booths nothing to do with you Jane remembering that time in the wilderness when they dwelt in tents it was a week-long feast. It lasted eight days. And they would build little booths that they would live in. The temple court had all lights installed within it. The outer court of the temple at night time would be flooded with lights during the course of this feast. And it's during this feast that these events take place. Jerusalem would have been heaving, quite an excitement in the air. And Jesus is making full use of the opportunity to go into the temple where so many people would be gathering every single day. And he's able to teach them the things of the kingdom. And so that's where Jesus is found. And in this temple courtyard where every evening these lights would be blazing. He announces that he actually is the light of the world. The one true light. Would have had quite an impact, I think, at the time when he said it. I want to consider three thoughts with you based on this passage this evening. Here's the first the first two points, just looking at verse 12, these well-known words of Christ. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Point number one, 
the need for light. The fact that Jesus calls himself the light of the world and sets that against not walking in darkness makes it clear that the world in which we live and indeed our own sinful hearts are places of darkness where there is no light. Of course, this is the testimony of all of Scripture. I'll give you one example from Psalm 107. There are many more. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. They are set against God. They've rejected God. They rebel against him and they are pictured as those who are in darkness. And that image is used on many occasions throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. There's a darkness in this world. And darkness is always the absence of light. Is light the absence of darkness? It's not, is it? Not in the same way. If it's dark, you turn on the light and the light casts out the darkness. If it's light, you cannot turn on the darkness to make the light disappear. The only way that you create darkness is by removing the light then it becomes dark sometimes in here of an evening the sun shines through that top window right into my eyes I can't go to the dark switch and turn off the light can I what do we have to do we haven't had to do it this evening but we draw across that heavy curtain and it blocks out the light and that's what the sinful hearts of men and women are like. Sin is like a heavy curtain across the heart which blocks out the light completely, plunging us into spiritual and moral darkness. And John, in his first letter, gives us the contrast God is light. Not simply that God dwells in a place that is light, but that God himself is light. And that in him there is no darkness at all. How can there be darkness if God is the light? There's no place for the darkness where there is light. And that's what God is. But that light of God is shut out of the sinful heart and therein lays the source of all of the problems that we see in this sinful world. All the evils and injustices of this world are as a direct result of the darkness in which men and women live. So, for example, at the moment, something that's really current in our own day why is there such a strong movement today to try and justify and normalise so many kinds of alternative lifestyles 
which are actually a great offence to God. Rejecting the person God has made you to be. Choosing to actively engage in relationships which God has said ought not to be so. Even rejecting the gender that God has made you to be. And choosing for yourself another with which you wish to be associated and and so on. Why? Why is that happening in the world? It's because they're in darkness. And in the absence of God's light, they'll try anything to try and make sense of things. And to try and make things tolerable for themselves in the darkness in which they live. Why is it that very sadly, and we, there can be no gloating in us over this, why is it that so sadly the LGBT community suffers probably the highest suicide rates of any other group in society? Why? It's because nothing that they turn to does anything at all about the unbearable darkness that they're in. There's no light to be found in the choices that they're making, you see. That's not the message of the world, of course, but it is the message of the Bible. It's a message that the world doesn't want to hear, but it is the message of the Bible. And when we speak of such things, are Christians perhaps tending to feel only disgust over such people? You should be weeping for them. You should be on your knees praying for them. You should have hearts that are filled with the kind of compassion that Jesus showed to that woman who the Pharisees wished faced certain death and punishment and condemnation. Praying that God in his mercy and grace would shed his light into their hearts. We can ask questions like this. Why is Parliament in disarray over Brexit? Why? Why is there so much knife crime sweeping through our nation? Why? Because the world has shut out God to do that which seems right in their own eyes, resulting in self-centred, self-promoting chaos where everyone is wise in their own opinion So that even politicians from the same party vying for the leadership will quickly turn a debate into a shouting match. Because they're all lost and grappling in the darkness. All of them. What is it with this craze for celebrity? Why do people so readily take for themselves objects to worship, whether it's a football team or a singer or whoever. Why? 
It's because we were created to be worshipping creatures. But in the darkness, we've turned to worshipping created things instead of worshipping the creator. That's what we've done in the darkness. That's what's happening all around you. And the reason why our nation has so quickly and completely turned its back on our Christian heritage? The light has come into the world, but men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. In the opening verses of Genesis 1, God creates the heavens and the earth. The earth is described as being without form and void. Darkness is upon the face of the deep. The earth, at the first moment as God creates it, is dark and cold and lifeless. And God shows us in the Bible that the human heart is in exactly the same condition because of our rebellion against him and our rejection of him. Because we were those amongst God's creation who were made in God's image. When God first made Adam and then created Eve from his side, they had hearts which were full of light. They had hearts which were warm towards God. They were full of the life of God. And they were overflowing with love for God. And that's how we're all supposed to be. That's how God made us to be. But instead, because of our sin, our hearts are cold and dark and lifeless. Now, when God was creating the world, what did he do next? What was the next vital step before he did anything else on the face of the earth? Let there be light. Because this creation is going to need light. And this, the Bible teaches, is precisely what God does for sinners who are lost in darkness. He sheds light into the darkness of their souls. This same God, who in his work of creation commanded light to shine in the darkness, has shone in our hearts, so that he might give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And the world is full of false lights. The world is teeming with people who are full of themselves, wise in their own opinions. But just as there is only one sun in the sky which is able to provide us with the light and the heat that we need, there is only one light who is able to rid us of the darkness of our souls. There is only one light who can rid you of the darkness in your soul, and that is Christ. He is the light of the world. And in his light, there is life, life abundant and life everlasting. There is a need for light. You need light. Christ is the only one you can turn to for it. Because secondly, he is the source of light. I am, he said, the light of the world. Follow me 
and you will no longer walk in darkness and you will have the light of life. Many people claim to have found that which they need to live a satisfied and fulfilled life. Most of them probably are either lying or disillusioned. Some people on the face of it may seem to have lived a life that has a degree of fulfillment and satisfaction. But what they forget and what they've never considered is whether or not they're going to have a satisfied and fulfilled eternity. If this life is all there is, if this life is all there is, I can think of a thousand better things to do on Sunday evening. But this life is not all there is. It's appointed for man once to die. And after that, the judgment. And there is eternal hope for those who are in Christ. Sin has ruined us terribly, but it hasn't obliterated completely everything of the image of God in which we were made. Not totally. We still, thank God, have a conscience in his common grace towards us. There's, there's still a flicker of God's truth about right and wrong within each one of us. Go to any society, steal a man's wife, and you can expect the same reaction wherever you go. Steal a man's wallet, steal a woman's purse from her handbag, you can expect the same reaction wherever you go. There is that commonality of conscience that we do still retain amongst us all. And when unbelievers stare death in the face, and when unbelievers lose loved ones, you can see the questions written across their faces. Is this really all there is? Is there not more to life than this? Can anyone please assure me that my loved one has gone somewhere better? Into this darkness, Jesus speaks. I am the light of the world. I'm the answer to the darkness of your heart. And Jesus is not simply the bringer of light. He's not simply the bearer of light. We as Christians are described as lights. We're told to let our light shine brightly. Don't hide your light under a bushel. The church is described as being a lampstand, a bearer of light. Something that holds up the light. But it's Jesus himself who is the light. Jesus came to bring that light to us that we might live as God intended. He himself is the light and he's a life-giving light. Because in the darkness there is spiritual death. But in the light there is spiritual life. And he floods our souls not only with light but with that which brings us back to life in him so he calls you out of darkness into his light and out of your deadness into his life 
So we read in the scriptures, he's delivered us from the power of darkness. He's conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. You once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. A chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvellous light. That's what you are as a Christian. That's who you are as a Christian. That's who we are as his church. And what's so special about this light? Well, in Psalm 27, we read this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The darkness is a place of many fears and many anxieties. Let's think about a few examples. Have you noticed, for example, how many people have problems based upon how other people perceive them to be? There's an image to be portrayed and sustained. And they're not up to it. This is why social media can prove so dangerous. Because it allows people to anonymously pass judgment and say awful things about other people. And those on the receiving end are driven to the depths of despair of all ages. Have you noticed how many people have problems based upon how they perceive themselves to be? There's an image to be portrayed and sustained. And I'm not up to it. And once more, social media can be a great evil which only convinces them that they're right. I am utterly worthless. I'm not a fan of social media, as you might have gathered. It does have the potential to be a great benefit. Used well, it can be fantastic. I don't doubt that at all. But in the hands of a dark world, what damage is being done? Because people don't know how to use it well. What unbearable pressure it can exert on people. What hatred it can stir up. What anger it can arouse. How easily people become a target for it all. How addictive it can become. People's lives are dictated by this little screen that's welded to their hand, aren't they? Should a Christian be in that position? Leave that with you to think through. But all of these fears and anxieties that people have, stepping into the light of God through Christ casts out fear. It's the message of the Bible. It's the promise of the Bible. 
Stepping into the light of Christ sets you free from this dark world. Finding your life and your identity and your acceptance and your purpose in Christ casts out fear. In Psalm 43 and Psalm 119, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So many opinions out there. Who to follow? Who to believe? If you want to know the truth about yourself, and about your God. If you want a safe and reliable guide through this life and into eternity, step into his light. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the light. He will free you from this world's darkness. And then finally... We've got these remaining verses in that passage which perhaps are a little perplexing when we first read them through. I'm going to take a really simple approach to them this evening. You'd be glad to know. The witness of the light. Verses 13 through to 20. At verse 13, the Pharisees voice the protest that is repeated by so many people today. But this is the message of the Bible. And all of this talk is about Jesus. And it simply is not true, says the world. It simply is not valid anymore, says the world. And that's what the men are saying to Jesus in verse 13. You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. It's just you making all of these claims. And we say you're a liar. We say you're a deceiver. We say there's no truth in you at all. And who is there to argue or disagree? And that's what you hear in the world so often today. This whole thing, they say, has been discredited. The world has moved on, they will tell you. And so should you. How should you respond? How should you respond? Remember something very important, first of all. These objections in John chapter 8 are being raised by people who saw with their own eyes the miracles Jesus did. And still they reject his witness. And still, even with abundant evidence they throw up the same objections that people throw up today. I've said it before, I'll keep on saying it. It's not a lack of proof and it's not a lack of evidence that keeps people and holds people in their unbelief. It isn't. If it were, all of these Pharisees would be disciples of Christ. If all it takes is sufficient proof, sufficient evidence... Everyone would be following Christ. Yet most of Jerusalem, months later, will be shouting out, crucify him. Yes, 
Yes. It's because they're in darkness and they cannot see. That's their problem. You can display any number of miracles in front of their eyes. They're blind. They cannot see. And Jesus in this passage, do you note, he doesn't try to prove anything. He doesn't try to prove anything. He simply states the truth. That's all he does, states truth. That's what we're called to do, primarily. State the truth. And the wise ones among you will take very careful note of that. Jesus' testimony is valid because of who he is. Verse 14. Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. You don't know. You can't know. But I know. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't change the truth. Christ's testimony is valid because of who he is. And when you're seeking to share with people the good news of Christ, you can do so on that authority and in that confidence that this is the truth. And no matter what people say, it doesn't stop being the truth. And we are called to declare it and make it known. It doesn't matter what the Pharisees' opinion is. Jesus is the true witness of these things. And that's all that does matter. Our responsibility is to present Christ to preach Christ, to proclaim Christ, to state the truth about Christ and to do so with the authority that he commands. Verses 15 and 19, they're depending upon their own sinful perceptions and understandings to make judgments about these things. You judge according to the flesh, he says. You're not making spiritual judgments. You're not making judgments based on the Bible. This is just the thoughts of your own sinful brains. These are just the desires and motivations of your own sinful hearts. Verse 19. You don't, not, you don't know me or the Father. There's no spiritual, spirituality in you at all. These are not spiritual things that you're dealing with. They're arguing from a position of complete ignorance. Just as Paul would say that people cannot understand these things because they can't be understood by people who are spiritually dead. That's the Pharisees and the scribes here. And here's the thing. Whilst we know that what everyone needs is to be in the light of Christ, you, you and I cannot convince anyone that they need to step into the light. Because they, they prefer the darkness. That, that's their natural setting. To flee to the darkness. I was in the garden the other day. And I moved something. There was a whole load of those little woodlouse. What did they do? They were gone. Straight back into the dark. That's, that's sinners. Oh, No light here please, thank you very much. We like it cold and dark and damp. That's the position they're arguing from. You cannot convince people that they need to step into the light of Christ. They can't understand it. They love the darkness where they are. And they actually prefer it to the light. The Bible says so. But declare the truth. Declare the truth. And here is the miracle of conversion. 
and here is the miracle of salvation, and here is how people get saved. God, God, who commanded light to shine in the darkness, he shines his light into their hearts, giving them the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And now they see because of what God does. Proclaim the truth. Pray that God would do his shining work in dark hearts. It's his work. He does it. If you're a Christian, that's what he did in your heart. If you've got unsaved friends, family members, that's the work that they need in their own heart, that God would do. So pray that God would work like that again and again and again and again. And verses 16 to 18 talk about knowing the Father through Christ. Jesus talks about this relationship with himself and his Father. Verse 18, I bear witness of myself and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Verse 16, I'm not alone, I'm with the Father who sent me. You see, these Pharisees, in their rejection of Christ do so because they are strangers to God as their father. God is not their spiritual father. They don't know him as their father. And therefore, they don't know Christ. You see, the God of the Bible and the God of salvation is a Trinitarian God. He is God in three persons, yet one God, and each testify of the other. If you would know God as your father, you must know Christ. And if you would know Christ... You require the effectual work of the Holy Spirit within you. All three persons of the Godhead are involved in your salvation because he's a Trinitarian God and each testifies of the other. That's what's necessary and that's what these men do not have. They don't know Christ because God is not their father. And God is not their father because they don't know Christ. Jesus said, if you would come to the Father, you have to come through me. Because I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the only way to the Father. There's no other route. There's no other door. There's no other gate. Save me. You have to come through me. And if you see me, you're actually seeing the Father. I am everything that God is in human form. And this is the cause of their confusion and their unbelief. They're spiritually blind in the darkness to all of these things. They're still in darkness, as so many are. But as the gospel is proclaimed, God is nevertheless doing his work. And we are to proclaim and declare the light, both in word and by our lives that people might see the light of the gospel and hear the truth of the gospel in us and through us. God it is who shines in the heart and in his light brings the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And sinners lost in darkness 
when God floods their soul with the light of the gospel, suddenly they look upon Christ and they can see. They see who he is. They see why he came. They see him on the cross. They understand what it was all about. And in the depths of their soul, they find themselves saying, he did it for me. He did it for me. And now I see. The darkness has gone because the light has flooded their soul. And in that light and knowledge, the saved sinner becomes a follower and never again walks in darkness. Never again walks in darkness. Never again walks in darkness. For now, they walk in the light of life. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Jesus and he alone is the light of the world and the way to the Father. Come to him. Come to him this evening. Come to him now. Turn from your sins, repent of your sins and trust in Christ.